we've been looking over this past year and into this year of God speaking by the mouth of all his holy prophets. And Samuel was one of those holy prophets. When we look at the prophets, it's important to have an understanding that they had a message that was relevant for their own time. They had a message that comes to all people throughout all generations, all ages. Yes, even to our own day and generation, there comes a message from the prophets. But look at that future message, that prophecy related to perhaps those end times, those times of the blessed return of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. As we've been said this evening, we're looking at the prophet Samuel. He it was who bridged that gap between the days of the judges, for indeed he was a judge himself, the last of the judges, and the beginning of the monarchy in Israel. He was there when the attitude of the day was that every man did that which was right in their own eyes. He was there at that time when Israel, in their folly, rejected the theocracy. They rejected being ruled by God. And they opted instead for a monarchy, being ruled singly by a man. When we look at the Samuel, we see what in some respects a type, a foreshadowing of the Lord Jesus Christ. As we've already said, he was one of the judges. And so in that respect, he was a ruler in Israel. We see in 1 Samuel chapter 7, it speaks of all the children of Israel coming to Samuel for judgment and how that he judged Israel all the days of his life. He was indeed a ruler, a leader of the people during his lifetime. We also see it from the account of his story, he was a prophet. We've already read that those verses, haven't we now? And the Lord spoke through him. At the end of chapter 2 there, it says there, the Lord, or chapter 3 rather, the Lord spoke through him. And all Israel saw he was indeed established to be a prophet of the Lord. And there in that selfsame chapter, we see the account of how his mother dedicated him to the service of the Lord. And he was one who from his youth gave his life separated to the service of the Lord. He offered sacrifices on behalf of the children of Israel. He was indeed a priest too. We see in chapter 7, we'll come to it more in detail. He took a sucking lamb. And he offered burnt sacrifices unto the Lord. He was a priest of the Lord, dedicated to his service. So we see he held those three offices, prophet, priest and king or ruler, as it were. The Lord Jesus Christ is portrayed in scripture as one who divinely, oh yes, divinely, holds the offices of prophet, priest and king. So Samuel, in that respect, he is a foreshadowing, he is a type. Of the Lord Jesus Christ, but Jesus is the antitype. He is the fulfillment, he is the embodiment of these three glorious offices. So, as we look at this Lord's servant, I would like to dedicate, uh, divide it up into various sections. And the first section we see the determined request. We see the determined request. And here we see the account of his birth, or even before his birth, as it were, his remarkable entrance into the pages of Holy Scripture. As we turn to 1 Samuel, we see his father was married to two women. The one had children and the other, Hannah, she was childless. She was barren. She desired to have children. And on one occasion of a visit to Tabernacle at Shiloh, she was found by the high priest at the time, Eli, praying to God for a child. We read in verse 10 of that first chapter that she prayed earnestly unto the Lord and wept sore. She was in bitterness of soul 
she made a determined request to God that he would grant her the blessing of having a child. Eli, the aged priest, he thought she was drunk. And he reprimanded her for being drunk, for taking excess wine. But she explained her position. She explained her plight. Eli listened to her and bid her go her way with the words, The God of Israel, grant thee thy request. It was some time later that Hannah gave birth to the young boy and called his name Samuel. Saying he was asked of God and God had heard her prayer and her determined request. God in heaven above. He had heard. He was a child then whose birth had been in some way prophesied before he was born. Again, a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. As we look at his name, and we see that he was called Samuel. And as we have said, it was because he was asked of God. And his name means either asked of God or name of God. As we look at his name, we see it begins with the Hebrew letter Shin, which is the 21st letter of the alphabet. As we look at letter Shin, we see it as a shape of a letter, and we can see it from Psalm 119. If you've got the shape of the Hebrew letters in your Bible in Psalm 119, look at the 21st section. And you'll see there it comes with a shape of three sections, and it's like a three-pronged fork that points upwards. The very commencement of his name is that which points to God, from whom he was asked by Hannah, and after whom he was named. It can be said the scriptures are a three-pronged fork that point us to God. We have the law, we have the Psalms, we have the prophets. And Samuel had this very character about him from a very early age. He sought to point people to God. We read in Psalm, 119, Psalm 99 and verse 6 that Samuel is one who is called upon the name of the Lord. Psalm 99. Psalm 99 and verse 6. And you'll see there, the psalm says there, Moses, it says, Exalt ye the Lord our God, in verse 5, and worship his footstool, for he is holy. Moses and Aaron among his priests, and Samuel among them that call upon his name. They called upon the Lord, and he answered them. He spake unto them in the cloudy pillar, and kept his testimonies and the ordinance that he gave to them. He sought to call Upon the name of the Lord and in his grace and mercy, Jehovah answered Samuel. He spoke to the people as God spoke to him. And he sought to guide the people according to the word of the Lord. So we see his beginnings as it were. An anxious mother who was provoked on a daily basis by an adversary. And in her provocation, she poured out her heart unto the Lord, the God of Israel. And made a determined request to have a child. And in this earnest prayer, she made a vow to God that she would give him back to the Lord. She would give him back to God to enter into his service all the days of his life. And in 1 Samuel chapter 1 there we read in the verse 11. There would not array, or 1 Samuel, yes. 1 Samuel chapter 1 we read there. There would be no razor upon his head. And there shall no razor come upon his head. That takes us back to the, nod, to the vow and the separation of the Nazarites. The one outlined in Numbers chapter 6, you can look at it in your own time. It talks about the vow of the Nazarites. And so it was when he was born. Hannah nurtured him. She weaned him. And when the time was set, she brought him to the tabernacle and gave him to Eli. And he was dedicated 
and separated to the service of God in the tabernacle at Shiloh. What a lesson we learn from this. James speaks of the effectual and fervent prayer of a righteous man or a righteous woman and how it avails so much. May we, like Hannah, be those who fervently seek the Lord, long to be looking to him as the King of kings, the King of all things, in knowledge that his grace is sufficient for us in so many things. So before Samuel was born, we see there from his mother, there was that determined request that she would be given a child. And Samuel was born, asked of God. And he is one who through his writings and through his testimony to the people of Israel, he sought to appoint the people. Oh, they wandered far from God. They were done wickedly in the eyes of the Lord. But he sought all the days of his life to point the people back to God. He called upon the name of the Lord and sought to point them back. And then we see, secondly, the difficult responsibility, a difficult responsibility that Samuel had. The child Samuel, he's come to the tabernacle. And at the commencement of chapter 3, that chapter that was read for us, we see that he ministers before the Lord. He ministers to his Eli. And it says there, and the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli. And the word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision. The previous chapter, chapter 2, it tells us about the family of Eli. And whilst Eli, he made himself in a goodly and a godly person, oh, he was a weak man. He was a weak man. And his offspring, his children, they were wicked before the Lord. They abused their position as a family of the judge and the priest in Israel. And they wrought folly. They wrought wickedness in Israel. Because of this, God spoke to Eli himself and he put a judgment upon him and also upon his children. In the third chapter, the chapter we read there, the verse 14, we read there the iniquity of his house would never be purged by offering or by sacrifice. It says in verse 14, And therefore I, that's God speaking, I have sworn unto the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be purged with sacrifice nor offering forever. God has spoken to him in prophetic terms and told him that he would cut off his family and raise him up a faithful priest who would do according to his heart and would make his house a sure house in Israel. As we read on in the book, we read that Samuel, for all his closeness to the Lord, he suffered much the same as Eli did with his family. Turn to chapter 8. And you'll see in chapter 8, verse 3, it says there, and his sons, this is Samuel, his sons Joel, his sons Abiah, for they walked not in his ways, but turned aside after Luca, and took bribes and perverted judgment. And so we see these prophecy here. It cannot apply to Samuel, for his house was not a sure house by any stretch of the imagination. But as we have thought of Samuel was a type, so we too here have the prophecy of one who would come, one who would be that faithful priest. One who would do according to the heart of God, for he is God, and God would make his house a sure house in the land of Israel. Oh, it speaks in a far greater sense of our Lord Jesus Christ. We thought his office already, prophet, priest, and king, and he would be that faithful priest. Oh, he is that better priesthood. That one of the writers of the Hebrews writes in Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7 and verses 22 down to verse 28 where it says there 
by so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. And they truly were many priests, because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. But this man, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood, wherefore he is able to save them to the uttermost, that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. For such an high priest became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens, who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up as those high priests to offer up sacrifice, first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once when he offered up himself. For the law maketh men high priests, which have infirmity. But the word of the oath, which was since the law, maketh the Son, who is considered, is consecrated rather, for evermore. So as we come into this third chapter of Samuel, we see that the scriptures account for us that due to the wickedness of Eli and his failure to act in righteous judgments, there was a scarcity of the word of God, a scarcity of the word from the Lord in those days. It was a precious thing. We read it, do we not, in those first few verses of 1 Samuel chapter 3, or the first verse there. And the word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open visions. There was a scarcity of the word of and the word from the Lord in those days. It was a precious thing. Oh, the word of God should always be precious in any nation. But it should not be solely precious because there is a scarcity of it. It should be precious because the people love the word of God. And so we spread through that account. So as we read through that account that many of us have read, known from our childhood, that young Samuel, he was called of God four times. And how not knowing who the Lord was, he ran unto Eli. Oh, the word of the Lord was precious. Not even Samuel himself knew who the Lord was. And how we see eventually there for that chapter we read, Eli realises who it is who is speaking to Samuel. And so he instructs him what to do. We read that in the verse 9. He instructs him there. Go, lie down, and it shall be, if he call thee, thou shalt, that thou shalt say, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. Oh, Eli realised who it was. Oh, let me read on. And we see that message comes to Samuel. as a message of judgment that the Lord has pronounced upon the family of Eli. And as, he, as Samuel wakes in the morning, and sets about the service in the tabernacle. So is the Eli, the old priest of Israel. He comes and approaches him and asks what it was that God had to say. Samuel has that difficult responsibility to tell all to Eli. How this comes to each and every one of us. The fact of a judgment of God upon sin is a very solemn and at times difficult responsibility. But it's a responsibility we have to do. God is holy. Oh, he is a holy God. He is a just God. One who the prophet Habakkuk writes further on in the Bible tells us that he cannot look upon sin and sin has to be dealt with. And so we see there from the biblical account is that Samuel hid nothing from Eli. He told him all. He gave him a full account. The scripture gives a very definite account of those things which are yet to come to pass. The account of Samuel here speaking the truth of the word of the Lord is that Eli's sin and the sin of his family would never be purged by sacrifice or by offering. And the record of scripture is that our sin can never be taken away by anything 
that we have to offer, any sacrifice that we make, any offering that we make, or the stain of sin, it can only be purged, it can only be washed through the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And his perfect sacrifice, that perfect sacrifice he made upon Calvary's tree, is by that that sin is washed away. And the commandment of scripture, the commandment of the word of God, is that we must be born again. We must be born again. We must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We must believe on him and then we will be saved. The book of Revelation in its closing chapters tells us of the judgment of God on those whose sin is not forgiven. Who due to their refusal to trust in the Lamb of God do not have their names written in the Lamb's book of life. The punishment do it there. Oh, the judgment is put upon them is that they shall be punished for all eternity in the lake of fire that never burns out. Oh yes, at times, the message of sin is a difficult message to give. But Samuel was faithful in the delivery of that message. And because of this, the Lord was with Samuel and did not let any of his words fall to the ground. And he established him to be his prophet in a time when the nation was wandering far from God. But although this was the case, all Israel knew that God was working in the life of Samuel. And the boy who was being trained in the priesthood was established to be a prophet of the Lord. As we look at young Samuel and see his faithfulness in a dark day, a day when the word of the Lord was precious because of its scarcity, may we also be those who, despite the perceived difficulty in proclaiming the message, have a heart to serve God faithfully and to preach the truth as is found in the Holy Scriptures. When Jesus was on trial before Pilate, Pilate said to him, What is truth? What is truth? Jesus had already given him the answer. He said that he had come into the world to bear witness to the truth. And in an earlier chapter in John, we read this about Pilate in John chapter 18, in John chapter 17, we see his high priestly prayer to God the Father. In that prayer there, he says, Thy word is truth. The truth can only be found in the scriptures. The truth can only be found in the word of God. May we be those in this our day and generation who unashamedly proclaim the truth to those around us. Those who are wandering so far from God in their sin. Those who have no knowledge of the Saviour. Those who have no knowledge of the word of God. May we be those like Samuel. Be faithful to proclaim the whole message, the whole message, and hold back nothing. And so we see that very soon in the story of Samuel. He truly becomes a leader of the people. He becomes a prophet established by God, as God spoke through him to the people. But the next episode we read is a very sad episode indeed in the history of Israel. The Philistines, or oh, that old enemy. They came up against them, and as the battle had gone hard against Israel, the decision is to take the Ark of the Covenant into the battlefield. Oh, we read as we go on that the battle still raised sore against Israel. We read as we not in chapter 4 of 1 Samuel. Oh, the battle, it still raised sore against Israel. And as the word of God was scarce, and as it, the precious, so too the Ark of the Covenant was taken by the Philistines. They took 
the Ark of the Covenant. That which denoted really the presence of God. That's where God met his people in the Ark, over the Ark of the Covenant. And then as we read on to that chapter, we see the news comes back to Eli. The Ark is gone. And as a result then, we see in the closing chapters there that his daughter-in-law, she called the name Ichabod, a child that was coming forth. Eli died. Hophni, Phinei, his sons, they had died too. Phinehas, his sons had died too. And then there says there, she named the child Ichabod. The glory is departed from Israel because the ark of God was taken and because of her father-in-law and her husband. And she said, the glory is departed from Israel for the ark of God is taken. Ichabod, the glory. Oh, a scarcity of the word of God. But worse than that, the glory of God had now departed. The following chapters of the four, they deal with the ark and the land of Philistia and the power it had over their gods and over their lords. But eventually it returned to Israel and it, come, and it abides for 20 years in Kirjath Jirim. And here we see Samuel comes back into the frame with a message for the whole of Israel. He proclaims the nation and he exhorts them to turn to the Lord their God and depart from the false gods that they worshipped. Those false gods they sacrificed to. He urged them, exhorted them to turn to the Lord their God. And as a result of the witness and his prophesying, the nation turns to worship God. And he, Samuel, he delivers them from the hands of the Philistines, so he no longer came into their coasts for the rest of his life. They no longer came. We read that at the close there of chapter 7, where it says in verse 13, So the Philistines were subdued, and they came no more into the coast of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. And the Philistines, and the cities rather, which the Philistines had taken from Israel, were restored to Israel from Ekron, even to Gath. And the coast thereof did Israel deliver out of the hands of the Philistines. And there was peace between Israel and the Amorites. And Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. He urged them to come back in that chapter there. And they came back, they called upon the Lord, and they served them for the rest of their life. But as we look there, we see there too that Israel, Samuel raised a memorial to the Lord God of Israel as he set a stone in Mizpah. He set a stone in Mizpah as a witness to the goodness and the grace of the Lord. The Lord had wrought a great victory, a great victory for them in the defeat of the Philistines. And Samuel so then he raised that stone there. He raised a memorial and he calls the name of that stone Ebenezer. Oh, what a lovely name Ebenezer is. I sometimes think that Charles Dickens did a great disservice as he robbed the name from us, as it were. Hitherto hath the Lord helped us. What a great testament that is for all of God's children to raise to our gods. Hitherto hath the Lord helped us. We could not go one minute of the day. We could not go one step of the way without our divine help, our Lord, helping us, leading us all the way through. Samuel, he realised this. And the children of Israel, they came to realise that through his testimony and his teaching. But may we too learn that lesson. We need the help of our God, hour by hour, day by day, step by step. May we be those who daily raise our Ebenezers to his name. 
But as we already said, despite Samuel being that time of the Lord Jesus Christ in being prophet, priest and ruler, as with most types, they fall so far short. As we come to the following chapter, chapter 8 there, oh, we see, we've discussed it already, we've thought it already, Samuel, he may have been a godly man, but his sons were far from that, and they dealt wickedly. Oh, they dealt greedily in the land of Israel. So much so, that when the days of Samuel were coming to an end, he was reaching old age. The people desired an alternative. We read it, do we not? We speak about his sons. They turned aside after Luca, took bribes, and perverted judgment. And so the elders of Israel gathered themselves together and came to Samuel unto Ramah, and said unto him, Behold, thou art old, and thy sons walk not in thy ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. And so we thirdly see there, do we not, the divine rejection. The divine rejection. And really this comes in two parts. We have the rejection of of the people of God as being the one who should rule over them and guide them and lead them all the way through. And then with the rejection of God, of one that was chosen to be king of Israel, Saul, as he disobeyed and he rebelled against God, the message had come on, and we look at it later, I have rejected thee, rejected thee. So the people, they rejected God, and God rejected the first king. And so we come to look at the first one, shall we? And as we'll see, as he clearly outlined for us in that chapter 8 and verse 7. 1 Samuel chapter 8 and verse 7. And the Lord said unto Samuel, Hearken unto the voice of the people in all that they have said unto thee, for they have not rejected thee. They have rejected you, Samuel. They have rejected thee, for they have rejected, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. Oh, they rejected the Lord God as their one. God plainly tells Samuel that it's not him they have rejected, but it's God they have rejected. And they did not, they do not want God to reign over them. The message of the people is, they will not have this God to rule over them. And in the rest of the chapter there, we have the prophecy of Samuel as to what manner the king would be, that they would be requested to reign over them. And here we see, we're not going through it all, we won't read through it now, but we see it's all take, 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 take. Take. He'll take this, he'll take that, he'll take this, he'll take that. Oh, when they look, they rejected. The God that brought them up out of the land of Egypt, who'd settled them in the promised land, had been a God that given so many blessings, and yet he despised those blessings, and sought to walk in the ways of the nations round about them. They sought to walk in the ways of those who had kings round about them, and they sought to have a king. But as we see further, Samuel goes on to speak to the children of Israel. And in chapter 12 of the book, we turn to chapter 12 there, we see what more he says. And it says there in, that they have committed a great wickedness in asking for a king. Verses, chapter 12 then, verses 16 down to verse 19. Now therefore stand and see this great thing which the Lord will do before your eyes. Is not what wheat harvest today? I will call unto the Lord. And he shall send thunder and rain, that ye may perceive and see your wickedness is great, which ye have done in the sight of the Lord, in asking you a king. So Samuel called unto the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day. And all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. And all the people said unto Samuel, Pray for thy servants unto the Lord thy God, that we die not. For we have added unto all our sins this evil, to ask for a king. 
how the passage there tells us they committed a great wickedness in asking for a king and the truth of this message is emphasized by God as he sends that thunder and the rain in response to Samuel's prophecy but still Samuel's message is to the people is for them not to turn away from the Lord their God for if they do so they will be consumed and how we see in the end of time that came to pass but the truth of the goodness of God is given to us in verse 22 for it says there, the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because you have pleased the Lord to make you his people. Oh, Samuel tells them there, they are a chosen people. A chosen people out of all the peoples of the earth. And they've been made by God to be his people forever. And God will never forsake his people. Oh, they may be consumed, yes. As we see this present time, as we've seen from the days of Babylonian um, Empire, Oh, they've been consumed, yes, but they will never be forsaken. God yet has a purpose for his people Israel. Oh, what a blessing that is indeed. His covenant is sure. His covenant is firm. His name is Jehovah. He is the covenant keeping God. And so Samuel still exhorts them to fear the Lord and to serve him. The prophecy that Samuel gives here is a message to all God's people throughout all generations. Oh, this world is a harsh place for the child of God. It's always going to be a place where, where the world will seek to take, take, take. It wants, and then it wants more. This is because the God of this world is a devil, and he never seeks to give. But he will take away from all, all that he can, especially from the child of God. He would seek to take away our joy. He would seek to take away our freedoms. He would seek to take even our salvation away. Oh, he sought to take away from Job. But he had that restraining hand of God. He could only take what God allowed him to take. And that is still the case even today. Oh, yes, he's a roaring lion going about seeking whom he may devour. But at this time, he's restrained in many ways by the hand of a sovereign and omnipotent God. Oh, it's a sad day when the people of God no longer wish to have the God of all grace, the eternal God, God of all grace and mercy, to rule over them. How we ought to exercise in the manner of which we live and live according to the commands of God, which are not grievous in any way, shape or form. The Bible speaks in Revelation of a ruler yet to come, a ruler who will exercise great sway over the peoples of this world. And as in Samuel's prophecy that spoke of the king they desired to rule over him, so we see in the final outworking of this emergence of the Antichrist, that man of sin who will seek to control all those who follow, who follow him, what they do, and he will seek to take, take, take. When we read in chapter 18 of that great city Babylon, we read in verse 13 of the merchants of that great city. That wicked city. Oh, we read there what they traded in. They traded amongst many other things, the slaves and the souls of men. Oh, what a grievous thing it is. And how the devil seek through that. Take, take, take. If a king to rule over Israel was grievous, how much more grievous would be the rulership of the Antichrist? Oh, it speaks there of the great tribulation and how we need to be aware of these things even these days. God's people, all God's people, will grow a 
through a time of great tribulation when the things of this world, the Antichrist and all his armies will seek to take, take, take. But our God oh, won't allow us to be consumed for we will still be held in his hand. But people insisted they required a king to rule over them. And so a king was given to them, Saul. Saul, a man who was head and shoulders above everyone else. A man who had good looks, a man who seemed fine. A man who seemed really to be the epitome of a goodly king. And yet if you read through Saul's story, how quickly he turned aside. How quickly he became proud and thought more of himself than he did of following the ways of God and turn over to chapter 13 there and we see there in chapter 13 how he acts foolishly in chapter 13 and is reproved by Samuel for his foolishness verse 11 and Samuel said what hast thou done what have you done oh he's reproved by Samuel for his foolishness which he displayed in that in that book there he didn't wait for Samuel the lot of time in chapter 1 Samuel 10 verse 8 there we read there Samuel said and thou shalt go down before thee to Gilgal, and behold, I will come down after thee to offer burnt sacrifices. Seven days shall I tarry, and I will come to thee. But Saul couldn't wait. He couldn't wait for the time, and so he then offered sacrifices unto God, something that only the Levites were in a position to do. And so because of his disobedience, in not keeping the commands of the kingdom, keeping the commands of God, the kingdom was stripped from him. And must be given to another. How we read that? I'm trying to find the verse now. There we are. There, verse 14 of chapter 13 there. But now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord hath sought him a man of his own heart. And the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people. Because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. Oh, God rejected Saul from being king over his people. And God was going to put his place a man of his own heart. And so the throne of David will be established in the kingdom of Israel. And that would lead to one who was truly after his own heart. David's greater son, the Lord Jesus Christ. But as we come on, we then come to chapter 15. And perhaps there we see the saddest account in the life of Saul. He's commanded by God through Samuel to totally smite and wipe out the Amalek nation. Because of what he had done to Israel in the wilderness journey. But Saul once more. Oh, read for that sad chapter in chapter 15. Saul once more is disobedient. And even try to justify his own disobedience. But the words of Saul come clear to him. And to each and every one of us. That obedience is better than sacrifice. Oh, how obedience is so much better than sacrifice. I can't find a verse. I know where it says that, but it says that in the verse in that chapter there. I'm not on that page, that's why I can't find it. Chapter 15, verse 22. It says, Hath the Lord as great light and burnt offerings and sacrifices, as no band the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey his Bethlehem sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. Oh, and how it's talked to us too in the pages of the New Testament. Turn to Hebrews. Turn to Hebrews and Hebrews chapter 10. And there we see the testament there of the writer there. Hebrews chapter 10 verses 6 to 9. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast no pleasure. Then said I, lo, I come. In the volume of the book is written of me to do thy will, O God. 
Above when he said sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and offering of a sin thou wouldest not, neither has pleasure therein which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He take the way the first, that he may establish the second. Oh, it's clearly taught there that obedience is better than sacrifice. But because of rebellion against God, Saul is rejected by God from being king over Israel. Although to all intents and purposes and visible to the human eye, he remained king for some more years to come. Forty years he reigned. He reigned for some more time after that. And then we read the sad tale, how Saul grabbed hold of Samuel by the skirt and tore his skirt away from him. You read that in 1 Samuel chapter 15. He tore his skirt away from him. And Samuel tells how the kingdom will be snatched from him and given to one that is better. Read in verses 20, 27. And Samuel turned about to go away. 1 Samuel 15 and verse 27. And Samuel turned about to go away. He laid hold upon the skirt of his mantle, and it rent. And the Lord said unto him, unto Saul this is, The Lord hath rent the kingdom of Israel from thee this day, and hath given it to a neighbour of thine that is better than thee. Oh, it we learn, do we not later on? It be snatched from Saul and given to another better than he, the one we learn in later chapters, to be David, the son of Jesse. In the temptation of Jesus, in Matthew chapter 4, read of how the devil took Jesus to a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and that he would give these, the devil would give these to him if he bowed down and worshipped. This signifies the devil has had some form of control over the kingdom of this world. But there will be a day, oh what a glorious day, when God will take control of all these kingdoms, take control of all these kingdoms away from the evil one, away from the devil. And as the book of Revelation tells you in Revelation Chapter 11, Revelation chapter 11, we read there, Revelation chapter 11, the verse 15 there, it speaks there, and the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and forever. Oh, how we see the day coming. Yes, Satan may have what seems to be the rule in this world at its current time. But always a glorious day coming when the kingdoms of this world will be snatched away from the power of the evil one and they will become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and forever. Oh, that's that greater son of David. Saul's kingdom was snatched for him and given to David. And how we see Saul, perhaps he's a type of the Antichrist, perhaps he's a type of the devil himself, we may say. Oh, the kingdom was snatched away from him and will be given to that greater than David. Oh, David's greater son, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the last time Saul sees, sees of Samuel in Samuel's lifetime. We read there a closing verses. Verse 34, Then Samuel went up to Ramah, and Saul went to his house to Gibeah of Saul. And Samuel came no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul. And the Lord repented that he had made Saul king over Israel. So that passage comes to an end. Oh, the rejection, divine rejection. The people rejected God, but God rejected their king. And fourthly, come on to see the delightful response. The delightful response.
How low Samuel was have felt this time? He had warned the Israelites, oh, warned them countless times. He warned the Saul on many occasions. And now he sees the ruin that Saul has fallen into. He sees the nation of Israel go through so many problems. And he warned them all. He'd been faithful in his testimony. And so in chapter 15, we've read just now, he goes down to his house mourning for Saul. But all the glorious thing is, our God is still on the throne. He is still sovereign and he has plans for the prophet to do his eternal purpose. He told him to get up, get up and go to the town of Bethlehem. God in his mercy didn't leave Samuel to mourn and sorrow too long, but he had a work for him to do, a delightful work for him to do. And so he is sent down to Bethlehem and to search out the family of Jesse and to anoint a king to rule over Israel from his sons. As can be expected, Samuel had some fears about this, or reservations. What would happen if Saul heard? Oh, Saul was still alive. Saul was still king. What would happen if Saul heard? And he says there, I should be killed. I should be put to death. He would kill me if I do this. But in obedience, he goes. Oh, he may have those fears. He may have those concerns. But he takes them to God in prayer. And his fears and his concerns are stilled. God expects our obedience. As Samuel said before, it's better. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Oh, but we can still take our cares. We can still take our concerns to him. Seek his face in prayer. Peter tells us and do that. Take our lay our cares upon him. He will comfort us. He will comfort us. Fear not. It's all in my control. What a gracious, sovereign God we have. And so he comes down to Bethlehem. And there he sees all the sons of Jesse pass before him. Before he anoints the youngest, David, to be king over Israel. Saul still reigned, but David was anointed. Oh, how this points us to the Saviour. He is the anointed one. Oh, he is anointed one who will rule and reign. It is his right to rule and reign in the day yet to come. In the day yet to come, all will bow their knee to him. All will confess that he is king of kings, that he is lord of lords. As with Saul and David, we live in a day when Satan still has sway. Satan still has his sway and he goes about the nations like a roaring lion, seeking, as we've already said, seeking whom he may devour and destroy. But Jesus Christ, our Jesus, he is still the anointed one. How we look for the day, as Samuel looked for the day, when David's greatest son will, bear, will be crowned king of kings, king of all. But here in this passage here in 1 Samuel 16, we read in verse 7, a very important verse that reveals to us an attribute of the character of God. He looks on the hearts. He sees our every thought and desire and he saw the heart of David. It was a heart light on his own heart. May it be each of us search our hearts and know the truth. Oh, Jeremiah speaks in Jeremiah 17 about the human heart, about the heart of mankind. Jeremiah 17 is a well-known passage, a well-known verse. Perhaps you feel we shouldn't need to turn to it, we should know it so well. But Jeremiah 17, verses 9 to 10. They say there, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? 
And God says there, I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. Oh, may we be those who search our own hearts and those who be deceitful, wicked hearts and pray that God will fulfill his prophecy. The one that he speaks of in Ezekiel chapter 11. In Ezekiel chapter 11, we read there in verses 14, down to 21. And again, Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 14. Again, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, thy brethren, even thy, kin even thy brethren, the men of thy kindred, and all the house of Israel, whole, holy, are they unto whom the inhabitants of Jerusalem have said, Get you far from the Lord, unto us in this land given in possession. I'm not sure I've got the right passage here. Oh, yes, let's carry on. Yes, sir. Therefore, say, Thus saith the Lord God, verse 17, I will gather you from the people. And assemble you out of the countries where ye have been scattered. And I will give you the land of Israel. And they shall come thither. And they shall take away all the detestable things thereof. And all the abominations thereof from thence. And I will give them one heart. And I will put a new spirit within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of their flesh. And give them a heart of flesh. That they may walk in my statutes. And keep my ordinances and do them. And they shall be my people. And I will be their gods. But as for them whose heart walketh after the heart of their own detestable things and their abominations, I will recompense their way upon their own heads, saith the Lord. Oh, may we have that stony heart, that deceitful heart taken from us, and that new heart, that spirit heart, that heart that seeks after God, that heart of flesh. Just he speaks of Israel. May it be true to each and one of us. Oh, that speaks of the future times of Israel. They're blind at the moment. There were time they come to look to the Lord and trust in him, as they will do. As we read the rest of the account, so it seems that Samuel's work is done. As we do not read much of him after his points. We read in chapter 19 of David fleeing to him as he was pursued by Saul. And then we come to chapter 25 and we read eventually of his death. He died before Samuel, uh, David, became king. Verse 25 and the verse 1. And Samuel died. And all the Israelites were gathered together and lamented him and buried him at his house in Ramah. And David arose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. Samuel died. All he sought to do had come to an end in his lifetime. But the story of Samuel does go on a little bit more. For fifthly, we can see, and perhaps I have two points here, because it comes, comes in two ways. The demonic replication or the departed returns. This is the next step we read of Samuel in the scriptures. Comes after his death and has caused some disagreement between very godly men all through the years. Which is why I've given it two titles. The demonic replication or the departed returns. Hoping to put over a little bit both views. As we come through then, we come to chapter 28 and we see that Saul once more is at war with the Philistines. Those people who Samuel has subdued. They no more came back into the land while he was judging. They came back when Samuel was gone and they caused Saul so many problems, so many problems. So the Philistines come back and they were causing Israel problems at this time. They had marched all the way from the south where Philistia is and they have been camped in the north of the country in Shunem. That's right in the north of the land of Israel. In response to this, Saul is encamped with the, with the armies of Israel at Gilboa. Which is not far from them, a little bit south from them. 
If there was one that Saul had done right in his reign, it was to put away all the wizards and witches and those that had dealings with the spirit world. He'd put them all out of the land, we read in chapter 28. This had been commanded by God in Deuteronomy. Look for it in your own time, but Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 9 to 14. It tells us how God commanded that the people of Israel should put those sort of people, wizards, witches, and those that have dealings with the spirit world, familiar with spirits, to put them out of the land, that the land will be cleansed. If you read the rest of that chapter, chapter 18, and we'll come on to it later, you'll see that it speaks of the prophet. The Lord Jesus Christ is prophesied there, being raised, who will speak the words of the Lord. But as Saul was encamped in Gilboa there, he looked across at the camp of the Philistines in Shunem, and he sees the might of the enemy. Oh, how often, when people are in straits, they pray to God, not confessing their sin as such, but they pray to God. And that's just what Saul did, isn't it not? Verse 5 tells us, chapter 28, When Saul saw the host of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart greatly trembled. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord answered him not, neither by dreams, nor by Urim, nor by prophets. Oh, he didn't come in confession of sin. He came because the enemy was great. And how so often, even in our day and generation here, people cry unto God in times of desperation, not in confession of sin, but praying to God, a God who never call upon normally, will save them from that desperation. Oh, how often, in times of desperation, people seek the Lord. And so it was, in this time of desperation, Saul turned to God. Oh, but the Bible tells in Proverbs, God does not hear the prayer of an abominable person. The prayer he doesn't hear unless it's a cry of repentance. And so as Saul cries to God, oh, God refuses to speak to him, refuses to speak to him, not by prophets, not by dreams, not by the Urim, and it's not mentioned here, but the thumbing, or by the prophets. Saul is destitute. Saul is desperate. And so he seeks out a witch, a woman who used familiar spirits, who lived at Endor, a short while away, a place just beyond Shunem. He disguised himself and he goes to see her to inquire of her. He requires her to bring up Samuel so he can hear from the faithful prophet. It is here that the different views come into place. As I've stated, the first thing which I'll cover is that the incident which was a demonic replication. That is, the whole episode of bringing Samuel back from the dead was a deception of the devil. And he appeared in the guise of Samuel to give a message to Saul. Samuel, as we've read, he, in chapter 25, he was, dying, he, he was dead and he was buried. And he had gone to the grave and he was safe in the bosom of Abraham. As we read in Luke chapter 16 of the poor man, in the parable that Jesus spoke. There he was out of the reach of the devil, or all demonic power, and could not be called back by some demonic power or some familiar spirit. We read of the account in the fall that the devil, in the temptation of Eve, he appeared as a serpent and deceived Eve in that appearance. But here we have no record of either the witch endure or Saul himself being deceived by the appearance of the devil. The only deception we speak that's speaking of here is of Saul who was deceiving the woman in his disguise. There also is the account of the first word that someone spoke to Saul when he said to him that bring him up. Saul in the bosom of Abraham. 
in the presence of God, we've had to come down to earth to speak to Saul, perhaps. While there is some degree of truth in this, I believe the opposing view is one that holds best with the account in Scripture. For it is my belief, although she dabbled much in wickedness, she had no power. The witch of the end door had no power at all whatsoever to bring Samuel up from the grave, up from Hades. When we consider the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, we've spoken already, Luke chapter 16, verses 19 and 31, is the power he spoke of the rich man and Lazarus. And we are told there that Lazarus, the poor man, he was in the bosom of Abraham and that he was comforted in the bosom of Abraham. We're also told that a rich man, he was in hell. The word used here is Sheol and it appears as Hades. And it can be seen it is, that it was not said that Abraham was in heaven, but there was just a great gulf fixed between Abraham was and where the rich man was, a great gulf that couldn't be crossed. Just remember that, bear that in mind. In Genesis chapter 37, we read the patriarch Jacob. Genesis chapter 37 and verse 35, and it says there that Jacob says there, and all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him. But he refused to be comforted and said, for I will go down into the grave, down into Sheol, down into Hades, is the word that is used, unto my son, mourning. Thus his father wept for him. There was a going down, a repeat to the grave. That same word used there is Sheol, that means Hades. This is repeated in Genesis chapter 42 and the verse 38, where once again Jacob is speaking. Genesis 42 and the verse 38, it says, My son shall go down with you, for his brother is dead, and he is left alone. If mischief befall him by the way in which he go down, then shall ye bring me my grey hairs with sorrow to the grave, to Sheol, to Hades. And then again, chapter 44 and the verses 29 and 31. It says the same things there um, about sorrow to the grave and grey hairs down to the grave. And again, it's that same word there, Sheol. It gives an indication there that Jacob and all the Old Testament saints expected to go down to the grave. There was an expectation they would go down to the grave. Samuel, he would have been no different. The expectation to go down to the grave. But this was not a place of torment as the rich man was in. Not a place of suffering that the rich man was suffering in, but it's a place of comfort, a place of repose, as Lazarus experienced in his death, down to the grave, into the bosom of Abraham. In Hades, there appears to be two places, a lower place of suffering, and that's indicated for us in Deuteronomy chapter 32. Deuteronomy chapter 32 and the verse 22, where it speaks there of this place of suffering. For a fire is kindled in mine anger, and shall burn unto the lowest hell, and shall consume the earth for increase, and set on fire the foundations of the mountains. The word hell there is that same word, Sheol, Hades. And so it means a lower place where it's burning, where it's suffering, where it's consummation, where it's suffering there. But maybe a higher place too of peace, repose and comfort. One for the ungodly and one for the godly, like the patriarchs like Samuel, like Lazarus in the parable in Luke 16. Lord Jesus Christ, while here on earth, he spoke to the people of his death and he likened it to the prophet Jonah, who was three nights in the belly of the whale. So he would be three nights down in the heart of the earth. He says it himself in Hades, in Psalm 16, 
we see a prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ relating to the Lord Jesus Christ there. Psalm 16. It says in Psalm 16, I haven't put the verse 10 in now, so I can't remember the verses. Oh, verse 10, there we are. Verse 10. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, in Sheol, in Hades. Neither wilt thou suffer thy holy one to see corruption. Jesus is a prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ. His soul would not be left in hell, in Hades. Nor would he see corruption. This prophecy here is taken up by Peter on the day of Pentecost. And we turn to Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, we see there that Peter, he takes up this very self-same thing there, subject there, and he speaks about it. Acts chapter 2, verses 8, sorry, 27 down to 31, where he says there, for David, verse 25, for David is speaking concerning him, that's the Lord Jesus Christ, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad, moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope. And verse 27, but thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, Hades, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life, thou shalt make, no, make me full of joy of countenance. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the, departed, of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and he sepulchre is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God has sworn with an oath unto him, that of the fruit of his loins, according to his flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Jesus, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. Peter speaks about it categorically. This refers, Psalm 16, to the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn over with me to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, and we see there in the beginning of the chapter there, or middle of the chapter, um, verses 8. No, it's not Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 4. Yeah, Ephesians chapter 4, sorry, verse 8. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now this he ascended, what is but he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth, into Sheol into Hades. He that descended is the same also that ascended far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. He led captivity captive. Paul tells us that Christ descended, and in descending into Hades, he took the souls of those captives there and ascended on high into heaven, where they rest for all eternity. But perhaps we see this was foretold by Hannah in her song in 1 Samuel. For in 1 Samuel chapter 2, we read there's Hannah sang that song of thanksgiving unto God for the birth of her child. She said there, The Lord killeth and maketh alive. He bringeth down to the grave and he bringeth up. It is God who brings down to the grave. Again, the word Sheol, and it's God that brings up. In all God's sovereign purpose, he does whatsoever he will. So as we come then to this difficult passage here, it does appear that God sent Samuel. God brought him up. God sent Samuel to give one last message to Saul. God brought him up from Hades. God brought him up from the grave to speak one last time a message of judgment to the apostate king. So when the woman saw Samuel, it was beyond her expectations. She did not expect to see him. And because she saw Samuel, she cried with a loud voice. She was frightened. She was afraid. 
she was scared. We read there too that Saul, he saw Samuel and he bowed to the ground. He didn't see an apparition. He didn't see one that was trying to deceive him and take on the, the uh, form of Samuel. He saw Samuel and he bowed to the ground. God had brought him up to give that last great message. And so Samuel delivers this last message to Saul. Jehovah has departed from him. The kingdom will be snatched away from him and his family and it be given to David. The battle, the battle we came to speak to Samuel about or tried to speak to Samuel about would be lost. And his sons would be with Samuel in Hades, albeit in the lower place the next day. And with that, Samuel is gone. You have a prophecy of doom that you haven't returned from your wickedness. You haven't turned from the way you are. And God gives judgment. God gives judgment. Oh, those sins must be confessed. Those sins must be repented of. And Saul, he had no confession. He had no repentance. It was judgment all the way. And so it was, we read through the chapters there. The battle commenced. The battle went on. And Saul and all his sons died that day in the battle. But lastly, we see the designed response. Why are these things recorded for us? Why are these things recorded for us? Acts chapter 3 tells us they are written for us. Acts chapter 3, in the verse 18 and 24, it says there, Repent ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. For Moses truly said unto the fathers, and this is that quote from Deuteronomy, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren, like unto me. Him shall ye hear in all things, whatsoever he shall say unto you. And it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. Yea, and all the prophets from Samuel. Samuel spoke of this. And those that follow after, as many as told, have likewise foretold of these days. Oh, they're given for our instruction to teach us the things of God. And we see that Samuel, he was the first of the prophets as mentioned in that passage there in Acts chapter 2. And he spoke of the days that Peter is referring to. We see he speaks that passage, I point out already in Deuteronomy, that refers of the Lord Jesus Christ being that prophet that God would raise up. And he speaks all the times of the restitution, which are from Jesus being received up into heaven. These are the times all the prophets from Samuel onwards spoke of. But as we saw, oh, he had hardness of hearts. He would not. He did not listen to Samuel. Sight was. He was destroyed and had the kingdom taken from him. And as Samuel foretold of days when there will be a new king, who was after the Lord's heart, who would reign in righteousness, so too that message comes down to us that God looks upon the heart he sees our every thought. He sees our every desire. And he knows who we are. How it behoves us. As those things that Samuel spoke of in his day, they came to pass. 
so too those things he spoke of beyond his day will come to pass. And as the kingdom passed from Saul to David, so there will come a time when the greater than David, when David's greater son, oh, the Lord Jesus Christ, he will rule and reign in truth. He will reign in righteousness. He will reign in justice. And all will confess that he is king of kings and lord of lords. We live in a day when there's so much departure, a rapid departure from the ways of obedience and godliness. Oh, certainly in our own land here in England, in the UK. And many turn to such wickedness as Saul did to spiritualism or to seeking the occult, to seek things they shouldn't seek after. Oh, let us be those who walk right in right ways, who seek the Lord's face in all things and live in obedience to him. Maybe those who faithfully, or oh, may be difficult, may be hard at times, but maybe be those who in all things seeks to publish abroad the truth of the gospel, that Christ Jesus, David's greatest son, he of whom Samuel spoke, Christ Jesus, he came into the world to save sinners. Or oh, maybe those who believe in him, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and they shall be saved. Oh, let us trust in him. Think of the message that Saul spoke. Oh, he was birth as foretold. His mother pleaded for him. He entered into service in the tabernacle. He had a difficult message to give time and time again. He sought to give it. And even when he was dead, they buried him. God sent him back with an important message. A message of judgment. Maybe we take heed to that. Oh, search our hearts. Search the Lord Jesus Christ and come to trust in him, the Saviour, David's greatest son, the righteous King who will reign. Amen.